BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Section 4, Book the Fourth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 4. Book the Fourth. Argument. Paris not being slain, the combat left it doubtful whether Helen should be returned or not. But Juno extorts a promise from Jove of the final destruction of Troy. Minerva then persuades Pandarus to break the truce by aiming an arrow at Menelaus. The wound is, however, cured by Machaon. The Trojans proceed to the battle while Agamemnon exhorts the chieftains of the Greeks. The fight then commences, Mars and Apollo encouraging the Trojans, Minerva, and the other deities, the Greeks. Now they, the gods, sitting on the golden floor with Jove, were engaged in consultation, and amidst them venerable Hebe poured out the nectar, but they pledged one another with golden cups, looking towards the city of the Trojans. Forthwith the son of Saturn attempted to irritate Juno, speaking with a covert allusion with reproachful words two goddesses indeed are auxiliaries to menelaus argive juno and minerva of alalcomene and yet these forsooth sitting apart amuse themselves with looking on but to the other on the contrary paris laughter-loving venus is ever present and averts fate from him but even now has she saved him thinking that he was about to die but the victory indeed belongs to mars beloved menelaus let us therefore consult how these things shall be, whether we shall again excite the destructive war and dreadful battle din, or promote friendship between both parties. And if, moreover, this shall perchance be grateful and pleasing to all, the city of Priam indeed may be inhabited, but let Menelaus lead back again Argive Helen. Thus he spoke, but Minerva and Juno murmured with closed lips, for they were sitting near and were devising evils for the Trojans, whenever indeed was silent nor said anything indignant with her father jove for dreadful rage possessed her but juno could not retain her fury in her breast but addressed him most baleful son of saturn what a sentence hast thou uttered how dost thou wish to render my labour vain and to my sweat fruitless which i have sweated through with toil for the steeds are tired to me assembling the host evils to priam and to his sons do so but all we the other gods do not approve but her cloud-compelling jove in great wrath answered strange one how now do priam and the sons of priam work so many wrongs against thee 
that thou desirest implacably to overturn the well-built city of ilion but if thou entering the gates and the lofty walls couldst devour alive priam and the sons of priam and the other trojans then perhaps thou mightest satiate thy fury do as thou wilt lest this contention be in future a great strife between thee and me but another thing i tell thee and do thou lay it up in thy soul whenever haply i anxiously desiring shall wish to destroy some city where men dear to thee are born retard not my rage but suffer me for i have given thee this of free will though with unwilling mind for of those cities of earthly men which are situated under the sun and the starry heaven sacred ilion was most honoured by me in my heart and priam and the people of priam skilled in the ashen spear for there my altars never lacked a due banquet and libation and savour for this honour were we allotted him then the venerable full-eyed juno answered there are three cities indeed most dear to me argos and sparta and wide-wayed mycenae destroy these whenever they become hateful to thy soul in behalf of these i neither stand forth nor do i grudge them to thee for even were i to grudge them and not suffer thee to destroy them by grudging i avail nothing since thou art much more powerful and yet it becomes thee to render my labour not fruitless for i am a goddess and thence my race went thine and wily saturn begat me very venerable on two accounts both by my parentage and because i have been called thy spouse moreover thou rulest amongst all the immortals but truly let us make these concessions to each other i on my part to thee and thou to me and the other immortal gods will follow do thou without delay bid minerva go to the dreadful battle-din of the trojans and greeks and contrive that the trojans may first begin to injure the most renowned greeks contrary to the leagues thus she spoke nor did the father of gods and men disobey instantly he addressed minerva in winged words go very quickly to the army among the trojans and greeks and contrive that the trojans may first begin to injure the most renowned greeks contrary to the league thus having spoken he urged on minerva already inclined she hastening descended the heights of olympus such as the star which the son of wily saturn sends assigned either to mariners or to a wide host of nations and from it many sparks are emitted like unto this pallas minerva hastened to the earth and leaped into the midst of the army and astonishment seized the horse-breaking trojans and the well-grieved greeks looking on and thus would one say looking at some other near him doubtless evil war and dreadful battle-din will take place again or jove is establishing friendship between both sides he who has been ordained the arbiter of war amongst men thus then did some one of the greeks and trojans say but she like a hero entered the host of the trojans the brave warrior laodocus son of antenor seeking godlike pandarus if anywhere she might find him she found the blameless and valiant son of lycaon standing and around him the brave ranks of shielded warriors who had followed him from the streams of asipus and standing near she thus to him spoke winged words wouldst thou now hearken to me in anything o warlike son of lycaon thou wouldst venture then to aim a swift arrow at menelaus doubtless thou wouldst bear away both thanks and glory from all the trojans but of all chiefly from the prince alexander from whom indeed 
first of all thou wouldst receive splendid gifts if he should see martial menelaus the son of atreus subdued by this weapon ascending the sad pile but come aim an arrow at renowned menelaus and vow to lycian-born apollo the renowned archer that thou wilt sacrifice a splendid hecatomb of firstling lambs having returned home to the city of sacred zelea thus spoke minerva and she persuaded his mind for him unthinking one straightway he uncased his well-polished bow made from the horn of a wild bounding goat which he indeed surprising once on a time in ambush as it was coming out of a cavern struck aiming at it beneath the breast but it fell supine on the rock its horns had grown sixteen palms from its head and these the horn-polishing artist having duly prepared fitted together and when he had well smoothed all added a golden tip and having bent the bow he aptly lowered it having inclined it against the ground but his excellent companions held their shields before him lest the martial sons of the greeks should rise against him before warlike menelaus the chief of the greeks was wounded then he drew off the cover of his quiver and took out an arrow fresh winged a cause of gloomy ills forthwith he fitted the bitter arrow to the string and vowed to lycian-born apollo the renowned archer that he would sacrifice a splendid hecatomb of firstling lambs having returned home to the city of sacred zelea having seized them he drew together the notch of the arrow and the ox-hide string the string indeed he brought near to his breast and the barb to the bow but after he had bent the great bow into a circle the bow twanged the bowstring rang loudly and the sharp-pointed shaft bounded forth impatient to wing its flight through the host nor did the blessed immortal gods forget thee o menelaus but chiefly the spoil-hunting daughter of jove who standing before thee averted the deadly weapon she as much repelled it from thy body as a mother repels a fly from her infant when it shall have laid itself down in sweet sleep but she herself guided it to that part where the golden clasps of the girdle bound it and the double-formed corslet met the bitter arrow fell on his well-fitted belt and through the deftly wrought belt was it driven and it struck in the variegated corslet and the brazen-plated belt which he wore the main defence of his body a guard against weapons which protect him most through even this did it pass onwards and the arrow grazed the surface of the hero's skin and straightway black gore flowed from the wound and as when some maeonian or carian woman tinges ivory with purple colour to be a cheek trapping for steeds in her chamber it lies and many charioteers desire to bear it but it lies by as an ornament for the king both as a decoration to the steed and a glory to the rider so menelaus were thy well-proportioned thighs and legs and fair feet below stained with gore then agamemnon the king of men shuddered as he beheld the black gore flowing from the wound and mars beloved menelaus himself shuddered but when he saw the string and the barb still outside his courage was once more collected in his breast but agamemnon deeply sighing and holding menelaus with his hand spoke thus amidst them and all his companions kept groaning with him o dear brother now have i ratified a treaty which will prove thy death exposing thee alone to fight with the trojans for the greeks since the trojans have thus wounded thee and trampled on the faithful league but by no means shall the league and the blood of the lambs be in vain 
and the pure libations and the right hands in which we confided for even although olympian jove has not immediately brought them to pass he will however bring them to pass at last and at a great price have they paid the penalty to wit with their own heads and their wives and children for this i know well in mind and soul a day will be when sacred ilium shall perish and priam and the people of ashen speared priam and when saturnian jove lofty throned dwelling in the ether will himself shake his gloomy aegis over all wrathful on account of this treachery these things indeed shall not be unaccomplished but to me there will be grief on thy account o menelaus if thou shalt die and fulfil the fate of life then indeed branded with shame shall i return to much longed for argos for quickly the greeks will bethink themselves of their fatherland and we shall leave argive helen a boast to priam and to the trojans and the earth will rot thy bones lying in troy near to an unfinished work and thus will some one of the haughty trojans exclaim leaping upon the tune of glorious menelaus would that agamemnon thus wreaked his vengeance against all as even now he has led hither an army of the greeks in vain and has now returned home into his dear native land with empty ships having left behind him brave menelaus thus will some one hereafter say then may the wide earth yawn for me but him fair-haired menelaus accosted cheering him have courage nor in any wise frighten the people of the achaeans the sharp arrow has not stuck in a vital part but before it reached a vital part the variegated belt and the girdle beneath and the plate which brass-working men forged warded it off king agamemnon answering him replied would that it were so o beloved menelaus but the physician shall probe the wound and apply remedies which may ease thee of thy acute pains he spoke and thus accosted talthybius the divine herald talthybius summon hither with all speed the hero machaon son of the blameless physician Esculapius, that he may see martial menelaus the chief of the greeks whom some skilful archer of the trojans or of the lycians has wounded with a shaft a glory indeed to him but a grief to us he spoke nor did the herald disobey when he had heard but he proceeded to go through the forces of the brazen-mailed greeks looking around for the hero machaon him he saw standing and round him the brave ranks of the shield-bearing hosts who followed him from steed-nourishing tricca standing near he spoke winged words come o son of Asclepius, agamemnon king of men calls thee that thou mayest see martial menelaus the son of atreus whom some skilful archer of the trojans or of the lycians has wounded with a dart a glory indeed to him but a grief to us thus he spoke and incited his soul within his breast and they proceeded to go through the host through the wide army of the greeks but when they had now arrived where fair-haired menelaus had been wounded but around him were collected as many as were bravest in a circle while the godlike hero stood in the midst instantly thereupon he extracted the arrow from the well-fitted belt but while it was being extracted the sharp barbs were broken then he loosed the variegated belt and the girdle beneath and the plated belt which brass workers had forged but when he perceived the wound where the bitter shaft had fallen having sucked out the blood he skilfully sprinkled on it soothing remedies which benevolent chiron had formerly given to his father whilst they were thus occupied around warlike menelaus meantime the ranks of the shielded trojans advanced 
and these again put on their arms and were mindful of battle then would you not see divine agamemnon slumbering nor trembling nor refusing to fight but hastening quickly to the glorious fight he left his steeds indeed and his brass variegated chariot and these his servant eurymedon son of ptolemaeus the son of piraeus held apart panting him he strictly enjoined to keep them near him against the time when weariness should seize his limbs commanding over many but he on foot traversed the ranks of the heroes and whichever of the swift-horsed greeks he saw hastening them standing beside he encouraged with words argives remit not of your fierce ardour for father jove will not be an abettor to falsehood but certainly vultures will devour the tender bodies of those very persons who first offered injury contrary to the league and we after we shall have taken the city will carry off in our ships their dear wives and their infant children but whomsoever on the other hand he saw declining hateful battle them he much rebuked with angry words argives ye arrow fighters subjects for disgrace are ye not ashamed why stand ye here astounded like fawns which when they are wearied running through the extensive plain stand and have no strength in their hearts thus do ye stand amazed nor fight do ye await the trojans until they come near where your fair proud galleys are moored on the shore of the hoary sea that ye may know whether the son of saturn will stretch forth his hand over you thus he acting as commander kept going through the ranks of heroes and he came to the cretans going through the throng of men but they were armed around warlike idomeneus idomeneus on his part commanded in the van like a boar in strength but Meriones urged on the hindmost phalanxes for him seeing these agamemnon the king of men rejoiced and instantly accosted idomeneus in bland words o idomeneus i honour thee indeed above the swift-horsed greeks as well in war as in any other work and at the banquet when the nobles of the argives mix in their cups the dark red honourable wine for though the other crested greeks drink by certain measures thy cup always stands full as mine to me that thou mayest drink when thy mind desires it but hasten into war such as formerly thou didst boast to be but him idomeneus the leader of the cretans in turn answered son of atreus a very congenial ally will i be to thee as first i promised and assented but exhort the other crested greeks that we may fight with all haste since the trojans have confounded the league death and griefs shall be theirs hereafter since they first offered injury contrary to the league thus he spoke and the son of atreus passed on joyous at heart and he came to the ajaces going to the troops of the heroes but they were armed and with them followed a cloud of infantry as when a goat herd from a hilltop receives a cloud traversing the deep beneath the northwestern blast and to him standing at a distance it appears while coming over the ocean darker than pitch and brings with it a mighty whirlwind he both shudders on seeing it and drives his flock into a cave such with the ajaces moved into hostile battle the dense dark phalanxes of jove nurtured youths bristling with shields and spears and king agamemnon seeing them rejoiced and accosting them spoke winged words ye ajaces leaders of the brazen-mailed argives ye too indeed for it becomes me not i in no respect desire to incite for ye yourselves mightily instigate the people to fight valiantly would that o father jove minerva and apollo such courage were in the breasts of all 
soon then would the city of king priam bend to its fall taken and destroyed by our hands thus having said he left them there and went to the others there he found nestor the harmonious orator of the pylians marshalling his associates and exhorting them to battle mighty pelagon alaster chromius and prince haemon and bias the shepherd of the people in front indeed he placed the cavalry with their horses and chariots but the foot both numerous and brave in the rear to be the stay of the battle but the cowards he drove into the middle that every man even unwilling might fight from necessity at first indeed he gave orders to the horsemen these he commanded to rein in their horses nor to be confused with the crowd and let no person relying on his skill in horsemanship and on his strength desire alone before the rest to fight with the trojans nor let him retreat for if so ye will be weaker and whatever man from his own chariot can reach that of another let him stretch out with his spear for so it is much better for thus the ancients overturned cities and walls keeping this purpose and resolution in their breasts thus the old man long since well skilled in wars exhorted them and king agamemnon rejoiced when he saw him and accosting him spoke winged words o old man would that thy knees could so follow thee and thy strength were firm as is the courage in thy breast but old age common alike to all wearies thee would that some other man had thy age and that thou wert amongst the more youthful him then the gerenian knight nestor answered son of atreus i myself would much wise to be so as when i killed eruthalion but the gods never give all things at the same time to men if i were a young man then now in turn old age invades me yet even so i will be with the horse and will exhort them with counsel and words for this is the office of old men but let the youths who are younger than i am and confide in their strength brandish their spears thus he spoke and the son of atreus passed him by rejoicing at heart next he found the horseman menestheus son of Peteus, standing and around him the athenians skilled in the war shout but crafty ulysses stood near and around him stood the ranks of the cephalenians not feeble for not yet had the troops of these heard the shout since lately the roused phalanxes of the horse-subduing trojans and of the greeks moved along but they stood waiting till another division of the greeks coming on should charge the trojans and begin the battle having seen these therefore agamemnon the king of men reproved them and accosting them spoke winged words o son of Peteus, jove nurtured king and thou accomplished in evil wiles crafty-minded ulysses why trembling do ye refrain from battle and wait for others it became you indeed being amongst the first to stand and meet the ardent battle for ye are the first invited by me to the feast when we greeks prepare a banquet for the chiefs then it is pleasant to you to eat the roasted meats and to quaff cups of sweet wine as long as ye please but now would ye in preference be spectators though ten divisions of the greeks should fight in your presence with the ruthless brass but him sternly regarding crafty ulysses answered thus son of atreus what a word has escaped the barrier of thy teeth how canst thou say that we are remiss in fighting whenever we greeks stir up fierce conflict against the horse-taming trojans thou shalt see if thou desirest and if these things are a care to thee the beloved father of the telmachus mingled with the foremost of the horse-taming trojans 
but thou sayest these things rashly but him king agamemnon when he perceived that he was angry smiling addressed and he retracted his words noble son of laertes much contriving ulysses i neither chide thee in terms above measured nor exhort thee for i am aware that thy mind and thy breast kins friendly counsels for thou thinkest the same that i do but come we shall settle these disputes at a future time should anything evil have now been uttered but may the gods render all these things vain thus having spoken he left them there and went to others he found a magnanimous diomede son of tydeus standing by his horses and brass-mounted chariot near him stood sathenelus son of capaneus and having seen him too king agamemnon reproved him and accosting him thus spoke winged words alas o son of warlike horse-breaking tydeus why dost thou tremble why dost thou explore the intervals of the ranks it was not with tydeus thus customary to tremble but to fight with the enemy far before his dear companions so they have said who beheld him toiling for i never met nor have i beheld him but they say that he excelled all others for certainly with godlike polynices he entered mycenae without warlike array a guest collecting forces they were then preparing an expedition against the sacred walls of thebes and supplicated much that they would give renowned auxiliaries but they the mycenaeans were willing to give them and approved of it as they urged but jove changed their design showing unpropitious omens but after they departed and proceeded on their way they came to rushy grassy esopus then the achaeans sent tydeus upon an embassy accordingly he went and found many cadmeans feasting in the palace of brave etiocles then the knight tydeus though being a stranger feared not being alone amongst many cadmeans but challenged them to contend in games and easily conquered in all so mighty a second was minerva to him but the cadmeans goaders of steeds being enraged leading fifty youths laid a crafty ambuscade for him returning but there were two leaders maon of haemon like unto the immortals and lycophontes persevering in fight the son of autophonus tydeus however brought cruel death upon them he killed them all but sent one only to return home for he dismissed maon obeying the portents of the gods such was the aetolian tydeus but he begat a son inferior to himself in battle but superior in counsel thus he spoke but brave diomede answered nothing reverencing the rebuke of the venerable king but him the son of renowned capaneus answered son of atreus lie not knowing how to tell truth we indeed boast to be far better than our fathers we too have taken the citadel of seven-gated thebes leading fewer troops under the wall sacred to mars confiding in the portents of the gods and in the aid of jove but they perished through their own infatuation wherefore never place my ancestors in the same rank with me him sternly regarding brave diomede accosted thus my friend sathenelus sit in silence and obey my words for i blame not agamemnon the shepherd of the people for thus exhorting the well-grieved greeks to fight glory shall attend him if indeed the greeks shall conquer the trojans and take sacred ilium but great grief shall be his on the other hand the greeks being cut off but come now and let us be mindful of impetuous valor he spoke and from his chariot leaped with his arms upon the earth and dreadfully sounded the brass on the breast of the prince as he moved rapidly along 
then truly would fear have seized even a brave spirit as when on the loud resounding shore a wave of the sea is impelled in continuous succession beneath a northwest wind which has set it in motion at first indeed it raises itself aloft in the deep but then dashed against the land it roars mightily and being swollen it rises high around the projecting points and spits from it the foam of the sea thus then the thick phalanxes of the greeks moved incessantly on to battle each leader commanded his own troops the rest went in silence nor would you have said that so numerous an army followed having the power of speech in their breasts silently reverencing their leaders and around them all their arms of various workmanship shone brightly clad with which they proceeded in order but the trojans as the sheep of a rich man stand countless in the fold whilst they are milked of their white milk continually bleating having heard the voice of their lambs thus was a clamour of the trojans excited through the wide army for there was not the same shout of all nor the same voice but their language was mixed for the men were called from many climes these mars urged on but those blue-eyed minerva and terror and rout and strife insatiably raging the sister and attendant of homicide mars she raises her head small indeed at first but afterwards she has fixed her head in heaven and stalks along the earth then also she going through the crowd increasing the groaning of the men cast into the midst upon them contention alike destruction to all but they when now meeting had reached the same place at once joined their ox-hide shields and their spears and the might of brazen mailed warriors and the bossy shields met one another and much battled in arose there at the same time were heard both the groans and shouts of men slaying and being slain and the earth flowed with blood as when wintry torrents flowing down from the mountains mix in a basin the impetuous water from their great springs in a hollow ravine and the shepherd in the mountains hears the distant roar so arose the shouting and panic of them mixed together antilochus first killed a trojan warrior echiopolis son of thalysius valiant in the van him he first struck on the cone of his horse-plumed helmet and the brazen point fixed itself in his forehead then pierced the bone and darkness veiled his eyes and he fell like a tower in fierce conflict him fallen king elephenor the offspring of chalcodon chief of the magnanimous abantes seized by the feet and was drawing him beyond the reach of darts in haste that with all haste he might despoil him of his armour but that attempt was short for magnanimous agenor having discreed him dragging the body wounded him with a brazen spear in his side which as he stopped appeared from beneath the covert of his shield and he relaxed his limbs in death his soul therefore left him but over him arose a fierce conflict of trojans and of greeks but they like wolves rushed on each other and man bore down man then telamonian ajax smote the blooming youth simoesius son of anthemion whom formerly his mother descending from ida brought forth on the banks of simois when to wit she followed her parents to view the flocks wherefore they called him simoesus nor did he repay to his dear parents the price of his early nurture for his life was short he being slain with a spear by magnanimous ajax for him advancing first he ajax struck on the breast near the right pap and the brazen spear passed out through his shoulder on the opposite side he fell on the ground in the dust like a poplar winch has sprung up in the moist grassland of an extensive marsh branches grow smooth yet upon the very top which the chariot-maker lops with the shining steel 
that he might bend it as a fellow for a beauteous chariot drying it lies indeed on the banks of the river so did the high-born ajax spoil simoisius the descendant of anthemion but at him antiphus of the varied corslet the son of priam took aim through the crowd with a sharp spear from whom indeed it erred but he struck leucus the faithful companion of ulysses in the groin as he was drawing the body aside but he fell near it and the body dropped from his hand for him slain ulysses was much enraged in mind and he rushed through the van armed in shining brass and advancing very near he stood and casting his eyes all around him hurled with his glittering spear but the trojans retired in confusion as the hero hurled he did not however hurl the spear in vain but struck Demacoon, the spurious son of priam who came from abydus from tending the swift mares him ulysses enraged for his companion struck with his spear in the temple and the brazen point penetrated through the other temple and darkness veiled his eyes falling he made a crash and his arms resounded upon him both the foremost bands and illustrious hector fell back the archives shouted aloud and dragged the bodies away then they rushed farther forward and apollo was enraged looking down from pergamus and shouting out exhorted the trojans arouse ye, ye horse-breaking trojans nor yield the battle to the greeks since their flesh is not of stone nor of iron that when they are struck it should withstand the flesh-rending brass neither does achilles the son of fair-haired thetis fight but at the ships he nourishes his vexatious spleen thus spoke the dreadful god from the city but most glorious tritonian pallas the daughter of jove going through the host roused the greeks wherever she saw them relaxing then fate ensnared diorus son of amarynceus for he was struck with a jagged handstone at the ankle on the right leg but pyrus son of embraces who came from aenus the leader of the thracian warriors struck him the reckless stone entirely crushed both tendons and bones supine in the dust he fell stretching forth both hands to his dear companions and breathing forth his soul but pyrus he who struck him ran up and pierced him in the navel with his spear and thereupon all his entrails poured forth upon the ground and darkness veiled his eyes but him aetolian thoas struck rushing on with his spear in the breast over the pap and the brass was fastened in his lungs thoas came near to him and drew the mighty spear out of his breast then he unsheathed his sharp sword and with it smote him in the midst of the belly and took away his life but he did not spoil him of his armor for his companions stood round him the hair-tufted thracians holding long spears in their hands who drove him from them though being mighty and valiant and glorious but he retreating was repulsed with force thus these two were stretched in the dust near to each other pyrus indeed the leader of the thracians and diorus the leader of the brazen-mailed epeians and many others also were slain around then no longer could any man having come into the field find fault with the action who even as yet neither wounded from distant blows nor pierced close at hand with a sharp brass might be busied in the midst and whom spear brandishing minerva might lead taking him by the hand and might avert from him the violence of the darts for many of the trojans and of the greeks on that day were stretched prone in the dust beside one another end of book the fourth read by stephen carney Section 5, Book the Fifth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain.
Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 5. Book the Fifth. Argument. The exploits of Diomedes, who, irritated by a wound from Pandarus, fights with unremitted fury, and even the wounds Venus and Mars, who were aiding the Trojans. Then, moreover, Pallas Minerva gave strength and daring to Diomede, the son of Tydeus, that he might become conspicuous amongst all the Argives, and might bear off for himself excellent renown. And she kindled from his helmet and his shield an unwearied fire, like unto the summer star, which shines very brightly, having been bathed in the ocean. Such a fire she kindled from his head and shoulders, and she urged him into the midst, where the greatest numbers were in commotion. Now there was amongst the Trojans one Darius, rich, blameless, the priest of Vulcan, and he had two sons, Phygeus and Idaeus, well skilled in all kinds of battle. These twain, apart from their companions, rushed to meet Diomede. They on their part from their two-horse chariot, but he from the ground, made the attack on foot. When these, therefore, advancing against each other, were now near, Phegeus first hurled forth his long-shadowed spear, and the point of the spear went over the left shoulder of the son of Tydeus, nor did it strike him. But the son of Tydeus next rushed on with his brazen javelin, nor did the weapon fly in vain from his hand, but struck Phegeus's breast between the paps, and forced him from his chariot. Then Idaeus leaped down, having left the very beautiful chariot, nor ventured to protect his slain brother in vain, for not even he would have escaped gloomy fate. But Vulcan snatched him away, and saved him, having enveloped him in darkness, that the old man might not be altogether sad. But the son of magnanimous Tydeus, having taken the horses, gave them to his companions to lead to the hollow ships. When the magnanimous Trojans beheld the sons of Darius, the one flying, the other slain at the chariot, the hearts of all were discomforted. But azure-eyed Minerva, seizing him by the hand, thus addressed impetuous Mars, 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 manslayer, gore-stained, stormer of walls, should we not suffer the Trojans and the Greeks to fight, to which side soever Father Jove may give glory? But let us retire, and avoid the wrath of Jove. Thus having said, she led impetuous Mars from the battle, and afterwards seated him on Grassy's commander. Then the Greeks returned to the Trojans to flight, and each of the leaders slew his man. First Agamemnon, king of men, hurled from his chariot huge Hodius, chief of the Halizonians, for in the back of him, first turned in flight, between his shoulders he fixed the spear and drove it through his breast, and falling he made a crash, and his arms resounded upon him. But next Idomeneus killed Festius, the son of Maeonian Borus, who had come from the fertile Tarni. Him, just as he was mounting his chariot, spear-famed Idomeneus with his long lance wounded in the right shoulder, he fell from his chariot, and hateful darkness seized him. Then the attendants of Idomeneus despoiled him of his arms. Menelaus, the son of Atreus, slew with his sharp spear Scamandrius, son of Strophius, clever in the chase, an excellent huntsman. For Diana herself taught him to shoot all kinds of beasts which the wood in the mountains nurtures. But then at least arrow-rejoicing Diana availed him not, nor his skill in distant shooting, in which he had been formally instructed. But spear-renowned Menelaus, son of Atreus, wounded him, flying before him with a spear in the back, between the shoulders, and drove the spear through his breast. Prone he fell, and his arms resounded upon him. 
Marionis slew Phereclus, son of the artist Harmon, who knew how to form with his hands all ingenious things, for Pallas Minerva loved him exceedingly, who also for Alexander had built the equal ships, source of woes which were a bane to all the Trojans and to himself, since he did not understand the oracles of the gods. Marionis, indeed, when following, he overtook him, struck him in the right hip, but the point went right through beneath the bone, near the bladder, and on his knees he fell lamenting, and death overshadowed him. But Magis next slew Padaeus, son of Antenor, who, indeed, was a spurious son, yet noble Theano brought him up with care, equally with her own dear children, gratifying her husband. Him the spear-famed son of Phileus, on his part, coming near, smote on the back of the head with his sharp spear. The steel cut through his teeth under his tongue. In the dust he fell, and caught the cold steel in his teeth. But Eurypylus, son of Evaemon, slew noble Hypsenor, son of Magnanimous Dolopion, who was priest of Scamander, and was honoured as a god by the people. Him, as he was flying before him, Eurypylus then, the illustrious son of Evaemon, struck in the shoulder in his flight, rushing on with his sword, and cut off his heavy hand. Then the gory hand fell in the field, but blood-red death and stern fate seized his eyes. Thus they on their part laboured in the violent fight, but you would not have known the son of Tydeus, to which side he belonged, whether he was mixed with the Trojans or with the Greeks. For he rushed through the plain like unto a river swollen by mountain streams, which flowing rapidly throws down bridges, and this neither the fortified dams can restrain, nor the fences of the richly blooming fields check, as it comes suddenly, when the rainstorm of Jove bears down heavily. Many hopeful works of vigorous youths are wont to fall by it, Thus by the son of Tydeus were the close phalanxes of the Trojans thrown into confusion, nor did they withstand him, although being numerous. When therefore Pandarus, the illustrious son of Lycaon, saw him rushing through the field, discomforting the phalanxes before him, he drew his crooked bow and smote him rushing on, striking him upon the right shoulder on the cavity of the corslet. The bitter shaft flew on and broke through to the other side, and the corslet was stained with blood, whereupon the illustrious son of Lycaon exclaimed aloud, Rush on, ye magnanimous Trojans, spurrers of steeds, for the bravest of the Greeks is wounded. Nor do I think that he will long endure the violent arrow if King Apollo, the son of Jove, really urged me proceeding from Lycia. Thus he spoke, vaunting. But him, Diomede, the swift arrow did not subdue, but having retreated, he stood before his horses and chariot, and thus accosted Sothenelus, son of Capaneus, Haste, dear son of Capaneus, descend from thy chariot, that thou mayest draw from my shoulder the bitter shaft. Thus he spoke, and Sathenelus leaped from his chariot to the ground, and standing by him drew the swift, deeply pierced arrow forth from his shoulder, and the blood spurted out through the twisted mail. Then Diomede, brave in battle, prayed, Hear me, O daughter of aegis-bearing Jove, unwearied if ever favouring thou stoodest by me, and my sire in the hostile fight, now in turn befriend me, O Minerva, and grant me to slay this man, and that he may approach within the aim of my spear, who being beforehand has struck me, and boasts and says that I shall not long behold the brilliant light of the sun. Thus he spoke, praying, and Pallas Minerva heard him, and made light his limbs, his feet, and his hands above, and standing near him spoke winged words. With confidence now, Diomede, fight against the Trojans, for into thy soul have I sent that intrepid ancestral might, such as the shield-brandishing knight Tydeus was wont to possess. And moreover I have taken away the darkness from thine eyes, which before was upon them, that thou mayest discern a god and also a man. 
wherefore now if any divinity come hither making trial of thee do thou by no means fight against any other immortal gods but if venus daughter of jove should come into battle wound her at all events with the sharp brass thus on her part having spoken azure-eyed minerva departed but the son of tydeus returning again was mixed with the van and ardent as he was before in spirit to fight against the trojans then indeed thrice as much courage possessed him like as a lion whom the shepherd in the country by his fleecy sheep has grazed indeed while overleaping the courtyard but has not killed he the shepherd has merely roused his ardour but afterwards he ventures no farther aid but on the contrary retires within the fold while the sheep deserted fly in consternation these indeed are huddled in masses one upon another but he the lion leaps joyfully from the lofty fold so was brave diomede joyfully mixed with the trojans then he slew astynous and hypenor the shepherd of the people having smote the one above the pap with the brazen lance but the other he smote with his huge sword on the collar-bone at the shoulder and separated the shoulder from the neck and back these indeed he left but rushed on abbas and Peleidus, the sons of eurydamus the aged interpreter of dreams to whom going to the war the old man did not interpret their dreams but brave diomede spoiled them when slain then he went against xanthus and thune the sons of phaenops both dearly cherished but he was warned by sad old age and did not beget another son to leave over his possessions these then diomede slew and took their life from both but to their father left grief and mournful cares since he did not receive them returning alive from battle but his next of kin divided the inheritance amongst them then he seized echemon and chromius two sons of the dardanian priam being in one chariot as when a lion leaping amidst the herd has broken the neck of a heifer or of an ox pasturing in a thicket so did the son of tydeus forcibly dislodge them both from the chariot against their wills and then spoiled them of their arms but the steeds he gave to his companions to drive to the ships but him aeneas beheld devastating the ranks of men and he hastened to go both through the battle and the din of spears seeking godlike pandarus if anywhere he might find him he found the blameless and valiant son of lycaon and stood before him and spoke this word to him o pandarus where are thy bow and thy winged shafts and thy renown with which no man here at least contends with thee nor does any person in lycia boast to be braver than thou but come having raised thy hands to jove aim an arrow against this man whoever he be who is thus prevailing and who has already wrought many ills against the trojans since he has relaxed the knees of many and of brave unless he be some god wrathful against the trojans angry on account of sacrifices not offered and unless the severe wrath of a deity be upon us him the illustrious son of lycaon answered in turn aeneas counsellor of the brazen-mailed trojans i assimilate him in all respects to the warlike son of tydeus recognizing him by his shield and oblong helmet and looking on his steeds but i do not know certainly whether he be a god but if this man whom i speak of be the warlike son of tydeus he does not perform these frantic deeds without divine aid but some one of the immortals stands near wrapped round as to his shoulders in a cloud who has turned into another course the swift shaft just about to hit him for but just now i aimed an arrow at him and struck him on the right shoulder entirely through the cavity of his corslet and i thought i should hurl him down to plato yet did i not altogether subdue him some god of a truth is wrathful and steeds and chariots are not present 
which i might ascend but somewhere in the palaces of lycaon are eleven chariots beautiful newly built lately made coverings are spread around them and beside each of them stand steeds yoked in pairs eating white barley and wheat of a truth the aged warrior lycaon gave me on setting out very many commands in his well-built palaces he ordered me having ascended my steeds and my chariot to command the trojans in the fierce conflicts but i heeded him not and truly it would have been much better sparing my steeds lest they accustomed to feed largely should want food to my cost the men being shut up in the city thus i left them but i have come on foot to troy relying on my bow and arrows but these were not destined to profit me for lately i aimed a shaft at two chiefs at the sons of tydeus and the son of atreus and having struck i drew blood manifestly from both but i roused them the more therefore with evil fate i took down my curved bow from the peg and on that day when i led the trojans to pleasant ilium doing a favour to divine hector but if i shall return and shall with these eyes behold my country and my wife and my lofty roofed great palace immediately may some hostile man cut off my head if i do not put this bow into the shining fire having broken it with my hands for it attends on me to no purpose him then aeneas the leader of the trojans addressed in turn speak not so but it will not be otherwise before that we twain with horses and chariot going against this man make trial of him with arms but come ascend my chariot that thou mayest see of what kind are the steeds of troes skilful in the plain to pursue rapidly here and there and to retreat they also shall bring us safe again to the city if jove will a second time afford glory to diomede the son of tydeus but come take the whip now and the shining reins and i will descend from the chariot that i may fight or do thou await this man and the steed shall be my care him then the illustrious son of lycaon answered in turn aeneas do thou thyself hold the reins and thy own steeds the better will they bear along the curved chariot under their accustomed charioteer if we shall fly back from the son of tydeus lest they taking fright should become restive and be unwilling to bear us away from the war missing thy voice and the son of magnanimous tydeus rushing on us should slay ourselves and drive away thy solid hooved steeds but do thou thyself drive the chariot and thy own steeds but with my sharp spear will i receive him advancing thus having said ascended the variegated chariot they directed the swift steeds impetuously against the son of tydeus but sathenelus the illustrious son of capaneus perceived them and immediately to the son of tydeus he spoke winged words diomede son of tydeus most dear to my soul i perceive two valiant men eager to fight against thee possessing immense might one indeed well skilled in the bow pandarus and moreover he boasts to be the son of lycaon and aenus who boasts to be born the son of magnanimous anchises but venus is his mother but come let us now retire having ascended our horses nor thus i pray thee run furiously through the van lest thou shouldst lose thy dear life but him sternly regarding brave diomede thus addressed talk not to me of retreat since i think thou wilt not persuade me it becomes not my nature to fight in a skulking manner nor to tremble as yet my strength is unimpaired i am averse to mount the chariot but even as i am will i advance to meet them spear brandishing minerva does not suffer me to tremble neither shall the swift horses bear these twain both back again from us supposing even one of them shall escape 
but another thing i tell thee and do thou lay it up in thy soul if most prudent minerva should grant me the glory to kill both then do thou detain here these swift steeds stretching forth the reins from the rim and mindful rush upon the horses of aeneas and drive them from the trojans to the well-grieved greeks for they are of that breed which gave far-seeing jove as a price to troze or his own son ganymede wherefore they are the best of steeds as many as are under the east and the sun from this breed anchises king of men stole them having supplied mares without the knowledge of laomedon of the breed of these six were fold in his courts reserving for himself he nourished them at the manger and two skilled in rousing terror he gave to aeneas if we can take these we shall have borne away excellent glory thus they were speaking such things to each other but the others soon drew near urging onward their swift steeds the illustrious son of lycaon first accosted diomede stout-hearted warlike-minded son of illustrious tydeus certainly my swift shaft my bitter arrow has not slain thee now again will i try with my spear whether i can hit my mark he said and brandishing it he sent forth his long-shadowed spear and struck the shield of tydides but the brazen spear flying straight through approached the corselet then the son of lycaon shouted loudly over him thou art wounded in the flank through and through nor do i think thou wilt endure it much longer but to me hast thou given great glory but him the valiant son of tydeus undisturbed addressed thou hast erred nor hast thou reached thine aim but i certainly think thou wilt not cease till one of you at least having fallen shall satiate mars the warrior of the bull's hide shield with his blood thus having spoken he hurried forth his lance and minerva directed the weapon to his nose near the eye and it passed quite through his white teeth and then unwearied the brass cut the root of his tongue and the point came out at the bottom of his chin from his chariot he fell and his variegated shining arms resounded upon him but his swift-footed steed started aside through fright and there were his soul and strength dissolved aeneas then bounded down with his shield and long spear fearing lest the greeks by any means should take the body away from him he walked round it therefore like a lion confiding in his strength and before him he stretched out his lance and his shield equal on all sides shouting dreadfully eager to slay him whoever might come against him but the son of tydeus seized in his grasp a handstone a huge affair such as no two men could carry such as least as mortals are now but he even alone easily wielded it with it he struck aenus on the hip where the thigh is turned in the hip they call it the socket the socket he smote violently and broke besides both tendons and the rugged stone tore off the skin but the hero having fallen on his knees remained so and supported himself with his strong hand upon the ground and dark night veiled his eyes and there of a truth aeneas the king of men had perished unless venus the daughter of jove had quickly perceived him his mother who brought him forth to anchises as he fed his oxen but around her own dear son she spread her white arms and before him she extended the fold of her shining robe as a fence against arrows lest any of the swift-horsed greeks having cast the steel into his breast should take away his life she indeed stealthily bore off her beloved son from the battle nor was the son of capaneus forgetful of those commands which warlike diomede gave him but he detained his own solid hoofed steeds apart from the tumult having stretched forth the reins from the rim and rushing forward 
drove from the trojans to the well-grieved greeks the beautiful maned steeds of aeneas and gave them to deipolis whom he honoured above all his coevals because he possessed in his mind sentiments congenial with himself to drive them to the hollow ships but the hero himself having ascended his chariot took the splendid reins and instantly drove his solid hooved steeds after the son of tydeus with ardour but diomede pursued venus with the cruel steel knowing that she was an unwarlike goddess nor one of those goddesses who administer the war of men neither minerva nor city-destroying bellona but when he had now overtaken her having pursued her through a great crowd then the son of magnanimous tydeus having stretched forward wounded the feeble goddess in the extremity of the hand bounding on with a sharp brass instantly the spear pierced through the skin through her ambrosial robe which the graces themselves had wrought at the extremity of the hand above the palm immortal blood flowed from the goddess Iker to such to wit as flows from the blessed gods for they eat not bread nor drink dark wine therefore are they bloodless and are called immortal but she started screaming aloud cast her son from her and him phoebus apollo rescued in his hands in a sable cloud lest any of the swift-horsed greeks casting the steel into his breast should take away his life but warlike diomede shouted loudly after her withdraw o daughter of jove from war and battle is it not sufficient that thou dost practice deception upon feeble women but if thou wilt go to the war i certainly think thou wilt hereafter dread battle even though thou but hearest of it elsewhere thus he spoke but she departed distracted with pain for she was grievously exhausted but swift-footed iris having taken her led her outside the crowd oppressed with griefs but she began to turn livid as to her beauteous skin then she found impetuous mars sitting at the left of the battle and his spear and swift horses had been enveloped in darkness but she falling on her knees with many entreaties besought from her dear brother his golden front-leaded steeds dear brother render me a service and give me thy steeds that i may go to olympus where is the seat of the immortals i am grievously oppressed with the wound which a mortal man the son of tydeus inflicted on me who now would fight even with father jove thus she spoke but mars gave her the golden front-leaded steeds but she mounted the chariot grieving in her heart and iris mounted beside her and took the reins in her hands and scourged them to go on and they flew not unwillingly and immediately then they reached the seat of the gods the lofty olympus there nimble swift-footed iris stayed the steeds having loosed them from the chariot and set before them ambrosial fodder but the goddess venus fell at the knees of her mother dione and she embraced her daughter in her arms and soothed her with her hand and addressed her and said which of the heavenly gods beloved daughter has wantonly done such things to thee as if thou hadst openly wrought some evil but her laughter-loving venus answered the son of tydeus haughty diomede has wounded me because i was withdrawing from battle my beloved son aeneas who is by far most dear to me of all for it is no longer the destructive contest of trojans and of greeks but now the greeks fight even with the immortals but her dione divine one of the goddesses answered endure my daughter and bear up although grieved for many of us possessing olympian habitations have in these times past endured pains at the hands of men imposing heavy griefs on one another mars in the first place endured it when otis and valiant Iphialtes, the son of aeolius bound him in a strong chain he was chained in a brazen prison for thirteen months 
and perhaps Mars, insatiate of war, had perished there had not his stepmother, all fair Eribia, told it to Mercury. But he stole Mars away, already exhausted, for the cruel chain subdued him. Juno also suffered, when the brave son of Amphimetron smote her in the right breast with a three-pronged shaft. Then most irremediable pain seized her. Amongst these Pluto also endured a swift shaft, when the same hero, the son of Aegis-bearing Jove, afflicted him with pains at Pylos amongst the dead, having wounded him. But he went to the palace of Jove, and the lofty Olympus grieving in his heart, and transfixed it with pains, for the shaft had pierced into his huge shoulder and tortured his soul. But Paeon healed him, sprinkling pain-assuaging remedies, for he was not at all mortal. Audacious, regardless one who felt no compunction in doing lawless deeds, who with his bow violated the gods that dwell in Olympus. But against thee, azure-eyed goddess Minerva, has excited this man. Infatuate, nor does the son of Tydeus know this in his mind, that he is by no means long-lived who fights with the immortals, nor ever at his knees will sons lisp a father's name, as he returns from war and dreadful battle. Therefore let the son of Tydeus now, though he be very brave, have a care, lest a better than thou fight with him, lest at a future time Igealia, the very prudent daughter of Adrastus, the noble spouse of horse-taming Diomede, grieving, should rouse her servants from sleep, longing for the husband of her youth, the bravest of the Greeks. And with her palms wiped off the ichor from her hand, the hand was healed, and the severe pains mitigated, but then Minerva and Juno, looking on, provoked Saturnian Jove with heart-cutting words. But amidst them azure-eyed goddess Minerva thus began speaking, Father Jove, wilt thou indeed be angry with me on account of what I shall say? Surely it must be that Venus, inspiring some one of the Grecian women with a desire of accompanying the Trojans, whom now she exceedingly loves while caressing one of those fair-robed Grecian women, has torn her delicate hand against a golden buckle. Thus she spoke. But the father of men and gods smiled, and having called, he thus accosted golden Venus. Not to thee, daughter mine, are entrusted warlike works, but do thou confine thyself to the desirable offices of marriage, and all these things shall be a care to swift Mars and to Minerva. Thus they, indeed, were speaking such things to each other. But Diomede, dowdy in the din of battle, rushed upon Aeneas, conscious that Apollo himself held over him his hands, but he revered not the mighty god, for he always longed to slay Aeneas, and despoil him of his glorious armor. Thrice then immediately he rushed on, eager to slay him, and thrice Apollo repelled his shield with violence. But when at length the fourth time he rushed on, like a god, the far-darting Apollo, menacing terribly, addressed him, Consider, O son of Tydeus, and retire, nor wish to think things equal with the gods. For the race of the immortal gods and of men walking on the earth is in no wise similar. Thus he spoke, but the son of Tydeus retired a little, biding the wrath of far-darting Apollo. But Apollo placed Aeneas apart from the crowd, in the sacred Pergamus where his temple was. Latona and shaft-rejoicing Diana healed him in the mighty shrine, and adorned him with glory. But silver-bowed Apollo formed a phantom like unto Aeneas himself, and such in arms. Around the phantom the Trojans and the noble Greeks smote on each other's breast the well-battered ox-hide shields, and the light bucklers. Then at length Phoebus Apollo addressed the impetuous Mars. Mars, Mars, man-slaughterer, gore-tainted, well-batterer, 
wouldst not thou now meeting this man the son of venus withdraw him from battle who would even now cope with father jove first indeed in close combat he wounded venus in the hand at the wrist but then he assailed me like unto a god thus having spoken he sat down on lofty pergamus but destructive mars aroused the ranks of the trojans going through them assimilating himself to achaemus the swift leader of the thracians and thus he harangued the jove nourished sons of priam ye sons of priam jove nourished king how long will ye suffer the people to be slain by the greeks is it until they fight around the well-made gates a hero lies prostate whom we honoured equally with noble hector the son of magnanimous anchises but come let us rescue from the assault our excellent companion thus having spoken he excited the might and courage of heart then sarpedon much rebuked noble hector hector where now has that strength gone which thou didst formerly possess thou saidst i ween that thou which thy kindred and thy brothers couldst defend the city without the forces and allies now i can neither see nor perceive any of these but when they crouch down like dogs but a lion we on the contrary who are here mere allies bear the brunt of the fight even i being thine ally have come from a very great distance for far off is lycia at lying xanthus where i left my beloved wife and my infant son and many possessions which he who is poor covets but i nevertheless exhort the lycians and ready myself to fight with that hero and yet there is here to me such store as the greeks can carry or let but thou standest still and dost not exhort even the forces to stand and to defend their wives beware perchance as though ensnared in the meshes of an aturing net thou become a prey and a spoil to hostile for quickly will they destroy thy well-inhabited city as it behooves thee both night and day to interest thyself in these matters beseeching the chiefs of thy far-summoned force to persevere with ardour and forego their violent strife thus spoke sarpedon but his speech gnawed the heart of hector and immediately he leaped from his chariot with his armour to the ground and brandishing his sharp spear went in all directions through the army exhorting the battle and he stirred up a grievous conflict the trojans rallied and stood against the greeks but the greeks stood in close array withstood them nor fled and as the wind scatters a chaff about the threshing floors when men are winnowing it and yellow ceres is separating both the grain and the chaff the winds rush along and the chaff heaps grow white beneath thus then the greeks became white with a chaff from above which indeed threw them as they again mingled in the combat the feet of the steeds struck up the ground to the brazen heaven for the charioteers turning back but they directed the strength of theirs straight forward and fierce mars spread a vapour over the battle aiding the trojans going about everywhere echoing the commands of golden-sworded phoebus apollo and ordered him to excite the courage of the trojans whenever he should see pallas Minerva departing for she was an ally of the greeks but he sent forth aeneas from his very rich shrine and infused strength into the breast of the shepherd of the people then aeneas placed himself amidst his companions and they rejoiced when they saw him approaching alive unhurt and having excellent strength they did not ever ask any questions for a different labour did not pale which the silver-bowed god and man-slaughtering war and strife insatiably raging had excited but then greeks the two ajaces and ulysses and diomede urged on to fight but they even by themselves feared neither the violent attacks of the trojans nor their shouts 
but remained firm like unto clouds which the son of saturn during a calm has placed upon the lofty mountains at rest when the might of boreas sleeps and of the other impetuous winds which blowing with shrill blasts disperse the shadowy clouds thus the greeks awaited the trojans standing firm nor fled but the son of atreus kept hurrying through the host exhorting them much o friends be men and assume a valiant heart and feel shame towards each other through the fierce engagements for more of those men who dread shame are safe than are slain but from fugitives neither does any glory arise nor any assistance he spoke and darted with his spear quickly and struck dacun son of pergasus a warrior chief the companion of magnanimous aeneas whom the trojans honoured equally with the sons of priam since he was prompt to fight amidst the van him then king agamemnon struck in the shield with his spear but it the shield did not repel the spear for even through this it passed onwards and pierced him through the belt and at the lower part of the stomach and he made a crash as he fell and his arms rattled over him here then aeneas slew some brave heroes of the greeks crethon and orsilochus the sons of diocles their father indeed rich in sustenance dwelt in well-built phyrae but his origin was from the river alpheus which flows widely through the land of the pylians alpheus begat orsilochus a prince over many men but orsilochus begat magnanimous diocles and of diocles were born two sons crethon and orsilochus well skilled in all kinds of battle these indeed in the bloom of youth in their sable ships followed with the argives to ilium famed for noble steeds seeking honour for the sons of atreus agamemnon and menelaus but there the end of death overshadowed them they too just as two lions have been reared under their dam amid the thickets of a deep wood on a mountain's heights they in process of time seizing oxen and fat sheep lay waste the stalls of men till at length they are themselves killed by the hands of men with a sharp brass such these two subdued by the hands of aeneas fell like lofty firs then menelaus brave in the din of war pitied them fallen and went through the van equipped in shining brass brandishing his spear for mars kindled his strength with the design that he should be subdued by the hands of aeneas but him antilochus son of magnanimous nestor beheld and proceeded through the van for he feared much for the shepherd of the people lest he should suffer anything and greatly disappoint them the fruit of their labour and now they were stretching forth their hands and sharp spears against each other eager to fight but antilochus stood very near the shepherd of the people but aeneas though a brisk warrior remained not when he beheld the two heroes standing near each other when therefore they had drawn the dead bodies to the people of the greeks they gave the miserable pair into the hands of their companions and they themselves returning back fought in the van then they slew Pelamenus, equal to mars general of the magnanimous shielded paphlagonians him indeed the son of atreus spear-renowned menelaus wounded with a spear as he stood having smote him on the collar-bone but antilochus on his part smote the charioteer mydon his brave attendant the son of Atimnius, now he was in the act of turning his solid-hooved steeds, having struck him with a handstone on the elbow. Immediately the reins, white with ivory, fell from his hands on the ground in the dust. But Antilochus, rushing on, smote him with his sword in the temple, and panting, he fell from the well-made chariot, headlong in the dust on his head and his shoulders. Very long he stood, for he fell on deep sand, till the two horses, striking him, cast him to the ground in the dust 
but Antilochus lashed them on, and drove them to the army of the Greeks. But them Hector discerned through the ranks, and rushed on them, vociferating, and with him followed the brave phalanxes of the Trojans. Mars and venerable Bellona led them, she on the one hand bearing with her tumultuous din, but Mars on the other hand brandished a huge spear in his hands. At one time, indeed, he paced before Hector, at another time after him. But him Diomede, brave in fight, seeing trembled as when a man uncertain of his course passing over a great plain has stopped at a swift flowing river running into the sea beholding it boiling with foam and retreat back in haste so then did the son of tydeus retire and he said to the host o friends how do we all admire noble hector that he is both a spearman and a daring warrior but with him one at least of the gods is ever present who wards off death even now Mars in person stands by him like unto a mortal man. But retreat back with your faces turned always to the Trojans, nor desire to fight valiantly against the gods. Thus then he said, but the Trojans advanced very near them. There Hector slew two heroes skilled in battle, Menestus and Anchilius, being in one chariot. But mighty Telamonian Ajax pitied them falling, and advancing he stood very near them, and launched with his shining spear, and smote Amphius, son of Selagus, who, exceedingly rich in property and crops, dwelt in Paeasus. But fate had led him as an ally to Priam and his sons. Him Telamonian Ajax smote on the belt, and the long-shallowed spear was fixed in the pit of his stomach. Falling he made a crash, and illustrious Ajax ran up to him, about to spoil him of his armour but the Trojans poured upon him sharp spears shining all around, and his shield received many, but he, pressing on him with his heel, drew from the body his brazen spear. However, he was not able to take off his shoulders any other beautiful armor, for he was pressed upon with weapons. He also dreaded the stout defense of haughty Trojans, who, both numerous and doughty, stood around, stretching forth their spears, and who drove him away from them, although being mighty and valiant and renowned but he retiring was repelled by force thus they on the one hand toiled through the violent conflict but violent fate urged on telepolemus the brave and the great son of hercules against godlike sarpedon but when they the son and grandson of cloud-collecting jove were now rushing against one another telepolemus first addressed him sarpedon sarpedon chief of the lycians what necessity is there for thee being a man unskilled at war to tremble here falsely do they say that thou art the offspring of aegis-bearing jove since thou art far inferior to those heroes who were of jove in the time of ancient men but what sort do they say that hercules was my bold-minded lion-hearted father who formerly coming hither on account of the steeds of laomedon with six ships only and with a few men laid waste the city of ilium and widowed its streets but thou hast an ignoble mind and thy forces are perishing away, nor do I think that thou wilt be an assistance to the Trojans having come from Lycia, not even if thou be exceedingly valiant, but that, slain by me, thou wilt pass through the gates of Hades. But him Sarpedon, leader of the Lycians, in return accosted, to Lepolemus, he indeed overturned sacred Ilium through the folly of the hero, famous Laomedon, who reproved with harsh language him who had deserved well, nor did he give back the steeds on account of which he came from afar. But I tell thee that here slaughter and gloomy death will befall thee at my hands, and that subdued by my spear thou wilt give glory to me, and a spirit to steed-famed Pluto. Thus spoke Sarpedon, 
but Telepolemus raised his ashen spear, and from their hands at the same moment flew the long spears. Sarpedon, on his part, struck the centre of his adversary's neck, and the grievous weapon passed right through, and gloomy night overspread his eyes. But Telepolemus, in the meantime, had struck Sarpedon in the left thigh with his long spear, and the spear, rushing with violence, passed through, grazing the bone, but his father as yet averted death. His noble companions bore godlike Sarpedon from the battle, but the long spear trailed along with him, pained him, but this no one of them hastening noticed, nor thought of extracting from his thigh the ashen spear, that he might ascend the chariot, for such anxiety did his attendants entertain for him. But on the other side the well-grieved Greeks carried Telepolemus from the fight, and divine Ulysses, possessing an enduring heart, perceived them, and his soul was stirred within him and then he anxiously pondered in his mind and soul whether he should pursue farther the son of loud-thundering Jove, or should take away the lives of many more Lycians. But it was not fated for magnanimous Ulysses to slay the brave son of Jove with a sharp spear. Therefore Minerva turned his thoughts towards the multitudes of the Lycians. Then he slew Coranus, and Alastor, and Chromius, and Alcander, and Halius, and Noemon, and Pritanus and yet more Lycians would noble Ulysses have slain, had not mighty crest-tossing Hector quickly perceived him. He therefore went through the van, armed in shining brass, bearing terror to the Greeks. Then Sarpedon, the son of Jove, rejoiced at him, approaching, and spoke this mournful address. O son of Priam, I pray thee suffer me not to lie a prey to the Greeks, but aid me. Even then let life forsake me in thy city, since I was not destined to gladden my dear wife and infant son, returning home to my dear fatherland. Thus he spoke, but him plume-waving Hector answered not, but flew past him, in order that he might repel the Greeks with all haste, and take away the lives of many. His noble companions meantime placed godlike Sarpedon under a very beautiful beech of aegis-bearing Jove. Stout Pelagon then, who was his beloved companion, forced out the ashen spear from his thigh. Thereupon animation left him, and darkness was poured over his eyes. But he again revived, for the breeze of Boreas, breathing upon him around, refreshed in spirit him panting with difficulty. But the Greeks on account of Mars and brazen-helmed Hector neither were driven at any time back to their sable ships, nor did they advance forward to battle, but always kept giving ground, since they had heard that Mars was with the Trojans. Then whom first, whom last, did Hector, the son of Priam and brazen Mars, slay? The godlike Teuthrus, and moreover the knight Orestes, and the Aetolian spearman Trechus, and Oenomius, and Helenus of the race of the Oenops, and Orespius of flexible belt, who dwelt in Hyla near the lake of Cephasus, very intent on wealth, and near him dwelt other Boeotians, having a very rich territory. When therefore the white-armed goddess Juno perceived these Greeks perishing in the violent engagement, straightway to Minerva she addressed winged words. Strange, O daughter of Aegis-bearing Jove, unwearied one, certainly we have made a vain promise to Menelaus, that he should return after having destroyed well-walled Ilium, if we suffer destructive Mars thus to rage. But come, let us too bethink ourselves of some powerful aid. Thus she spoke, nor did the azure-eyed goddess Minerva disobey her. Juno, on her part, venerable goddess, daughter of the mighty Saturn, quickly moving, harnessed her gold caparisoned steeds, but Hebe speedily applied to the chariot, to the iron axle-tree on both sides, the curved wheels golden with eight spokes. Of these, indeed, the fellow is of gold, imperishable, but above are brazen tires fastened on them, wonderful to be seen, 
but the circular naves on both sides are of silver and the body was stretched on with gold and silver thongs there was a double circular rim from this projected a silver pole at its extremity she bound the golden beauteous yoke and to it attached the beautiful golden poitrels but juno longing for conquest and battle led the swift-footed steed under the yoke minerva on the other hand the daughter of aegis-bearing jove let flow down on her father's floor her dainty robe of variegated hue which she herself had wrought and worked with her own hands then she having put on her tunic equipped herself for the tearful war of the armour of cloud-compelling jove and around her shoulders she then threw the fringed aegis dreadful around which on all sides terror appears plumed thereon was strife thereon fortitude and thereon was chilling pursuit on it was a gorgonian head of the dreadful monster dire horrible a portent of aegis-bearing jove on her head she placed her four-crested helmet with a spreading metal ridge golden sufficient for the heavy armed of a hundred cities she then stepped into her shining chariot with her feet and took her spear heavy huge and sturdy with which she sprung from a dread sire subdues the ranks of heroic men with whomsoever she is wroth but juno with a lash quickly urged on the steeds the gates of heaven creaked spontaneously the gates which the hours guarded to whom are entrusted the mighty heaven and olympus as well to open the dense cloud as to close it in this way indeed through these gates they drove their steeds urged on with a goad and they found the son of saturn sitting apart from the other gods on the highest summit of many-peaked olympus there staying her steeds the white-armed goddess juno interrogated supreme saturnian jove and thus addressed him o father jove art thou not indignant at mars for these bold deeds how numerous and how choice a multitude of greeks he has destroyed rashly nor as became him a grief indeed to me but venus and silver-bowed apollo and quiet are delighted having let slip this frantic god who knows no rights father jove wilt thou be angry with me if i drive mars from the battle having dreadfully wounded him but her answering cloud-compelling jove addressed come incite the pillaging minerva against him who was very wont to cause him to approach grievous woes thus he spoke nor did the white-armed goddess juno disobey but she lashed on her steeds they flew not unwillingly midway between the earth and the starry heaven now as much haze as a man sees with his eyes sitting upon some lofty point and looking over the darkling ocean so far do the high-sounding steeds of the gods clear at one bound but when they now reached troy and the two flowing rivers where simois and scamander unite their streams there the white-armed goddess juno stayed her steeds having loosed them from the chariot and shed a dense mist around them but to them simois offered ambrosial food to feed on but they went on like unto timid doves in their pace hastening to assist the grecian heroes but when they had now arrived where the most numerous and the bravest stood collected in dense array round horse-breaking diomede like raw devouring lions or wild boars whose strength is not feeble there standing the white-armed goddess juno shouted aloud having likened herself to great-hearted brazen-voiced stentor who was accustomed to shout as loud as fifty other men shame ye greeks foul subjects of disgrace admirable in form alone as long indeed as divine achilles was wont to be engaged in the war the trojans were not in the habit of advancing beyond the dardan gates for they dreaded his mighty spear but now they fight at the hollow ships far away from the city 
Thus saying, she aroused the strength and courage of each. The azure-eyed goddess Minerva rushed towards the son of Tydeus, but she found that prince by his steeds and chariot, cooling the wound which Pandarus had inflicted on him with a shaft, for perspiration had afflicted him beneath the broad belt of his well-orbed shield. With this was he afflicted, and he was fatigued as to his hand, and raising the belt he wiped away the black gore. Then the goddess touched the yoke of the horses and said, Little like himself has Tydeus begotten a son. Tydeus was certainly small in body, but a warrior, and even when I suffered him not to fight, nor to rush furiously to battle, when he came far from the Greeks, an ambassador to Thebes, to the numerous Cadmians, I commanded him to feast quietly in the palaces. But he, retaining his doughty spirit as before, challenged the youths, the Cadmians, and easily conquered them in everything, so great an auxiliary was I to him. But thee, indeed, I stand by and preserve, and I exhort thee freely to fight against the Trojans. But either weariness from great toil has entered thy limbs, or at least disheartening fear in some manner possesses thee. Thou art not henceforth to be deemed at least the son of Tydeus, the gallant son of Aeneas. But her, valiant Diomede, answering, addressed, I know thee, O goddess, daughter of age-sparing Jove. Therefore will I willingly tell this word to thee, nor will I conceal it. Neither does any disheartening fear possess me, nor any sloth. But as yet I am mindful of thy mandate, which thou didst enjoin. Thou didst not suffer me to fight with the other happy gods. But if Venus, the daughter of Jove, should come into the battle, to wound her at least with a sharp steel. Wherefore now I myself retire, and have ordered all the other Greeks to be collected here, for I perceive Mars dispensing the battle. But him the azure-eyed goddess Minerva then answered, Diomede, son of Tydeus, most dear to my soul, neither fear this Mars at all, nor any of the immortals, such an auxiliary am I to thee. But come, first direct thy solid-hooved steeds against Mars, strike him in close combat, nor regard impetuous Mars, this frenzied and unnatural pest, shiftier from one to another, who lately haranguing promised me and Juno that he would fight against the Trojans, and aid the Greeks but now he mixes with the Trojans, and has forgotten these. Thus having said, she forced Sathenelus from his horses to the ground, dragging him back with her hand, but he promptly leaped down. Then the goddess herself, infuriate, ascended the chariot beside noble Diomede, and greatly did the beechen axle groan under the weight, for it bore a dreadful goddess, and a very brave hero. Then Pallas Minerva seized the scourge and the reins. Straightway she drove the solid-hooved steeds against Mars first. He indeed had just slain huge Periphus, the illustrious son of Ochesius, by far the bravest of the Aetolians. Him indeed gore-stained Mars slew, but Minerva put on the helmet of Pluto, that impetuous Mars might not see her. But when man-slaughtering Mars saw noble Diomede, he suffered huge Periphus to lie there, where first slaying him he had taken away his life, but he went straight against horse-breaking Diomede, and when these came near, advancing against each other, Mars first over the yoke and the reins of the steeds, stretched himself forward with his brazen spear, eager to take away his life. It then, the azure-eyed goddess Minerva, having caught in her hand, turned from the chariot so as to be borne away in vain. But next Diomede, valiant in the din of war, made the attack with his brazen spear, and Pallas Minerva firmly fastened it in his lowest flank, where he was girt with his belt. In that very part striking, she wounded him, and tore his beautiful skin, and drew out the spear again. Then roared brazen Mars as loud as nine or ten thousand men roar in war, 
joining the strife of battle and then fear seized the terrified greeks and trojans so loud bellowed mars insatiate of war and as when from the clouds a gloomy haze appears a heavy blowing wind rising from heat such did brazen mars appear to diomede son of tydeus going amid the clouds into the broad heaven quickly he reached lofty olympus the seat of the gods and sat near saturnian jove grieving in his heart and showing the immortal blood flowing down from the wound and complaining he spoke winged words father jove art thou not incensed beholding these violent deeds ever of a truth are we deities suffering most grievous woes from the machinations of each other and whilst conferring favour upon men we all are indignant with thee for thou hast begotten a mad pernicious daughter to whom evil works are ever a care for all the other gods as many as are in olympus obey thee and unto thee each of us is subject but her thou restrainest not by words nor by any act but dost indulge her since thou thyself didst beget this destructive daughter who now has urged on diomede the overbearing son of tydeus to rage against the immortal gods venus he first wounded in close fight in the hand at the wrist and equal to a god he afterwards rushed on myself but my swift feet withdrew me otherwise i should certainly for a long time have endured woes there amidst the dreadful heaps of slain or living should have been exhausted by the strokes of the brass him sternly regarding cloud-compelling jove addressed complain not to me inconstant one sitting by me for thou art most hateful to me of all the gods that possess olympus for to thee discord is ever grateful and wars and battles thou hast thy mother juno's insufferable and unbending disposition which i myself can scarcely repress with words wherefore i think thou sufferest these things by her instigation yet no longer can i endure thy suffering pain for thou art my offspring and to me thy mother brought thee forth but hadst thou destructive as thou art been born of any other of the gods even long since hadst thou been far lower than the sons of uranus thus he spoke and ordered paeon to heal him and paeon healed him spreading on his wound pain assuaging medicines for he was not by any means mortal as when fig-tree juice on being stirred about curdles the white milk fluid before and it very rapidly coagulates while one is mixing it thus at that same time did he speedily heal impetuous mars hebe then washed him and put on him beautiful garments then exulting in glory near saturnian jove he sat down and now again argive juno and the powerful assistant minerva returned to the palace of mighty jove after having stayed man-slaying mars from his deeds of slaughter end of book the fifth read by stephen carney Section 6, Book the Sixth of the Iliad of Homer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Stephen Carney. The Iliad of Homer by Homer. Translated by Theodore Alois Buckley. Section 6, Book the Sixth. Argument. The gods, having left the field, victory now inclines to the side of the Greeks and Helenus counsels Hector to order a public supplication to Minerva in the citadel. While Hector is gone to the city for that purpose, Diomedes and Glaucus recognize the friendship which had formerly existed between their fathers, and exchange armor in token of amity. 
Hecuba and the Trojan matrons present a robe to Minerva, and offer up prayers for their country. Hector reproves Paris, and brings him back to the field, having first taken an affecting farewell of his wife and child. And now the dreadful battle of the Trojans and the Greeks was abandoned. Often, here and there, the battle raged through the plain, the combatants directing against each other their brass-tipped spears between the rivers of Samoas and Xanthus. First Telamonian Ajax, the bulwark of the Greeks, broke through the phalanx of the Trojans, and gave light to his companions, smiting the good and mighty hero Achimus, son of Isaurus, who was the bravest among the Thracians. First he struck him on the ridge of the horse-haired helmet, and the brazen spear fixed itself in his forehead and passed on within the bone. But darkness veiled his eyes. But Diomede, brave in the din of war, slew Axilus, the son of Teuthrus, who dwelt in well-built Arispa, rich in wealth, and he was beloved by men, for dwelling in a house near the public way, he was wont to afford entertainment to all. But none of them, his guests coming up before him, warded off sad death. But Diomede, deprived both of life, himself and his attendant Calesius, who then was the charioteer of his steeds, and both these entered the earth. And Euryalus slew Dressus and Opheltius, and afterwards went against Asipus and Pedasus, whom formerly the naiad nymph Aberberea brought forth to blameless Bucolion. Bucolion was the son of illustrious Laomedon, eldest by birth, but him his mother brought forth secretly. While Bucolion was a shepherd, he was mingled in love and nuptials with her amongst the sheep, but she, becoming pregnant, brought forth twin sons, and truly the son of Mesistius relaxed their strength and their illustrious limbs, and tore the armor from their shoulders. And next warlike Polypotes slew Astialis. Ulysses killed Percosian Pidites with his brazen spear, and Agamemnon, king of men, slew Elatus. He dwelt at lofty Pedasus, on the banks of fair-flowing Satnioas. The hero Lytus slew Philacus flying, and Eurypylus killed and spoiled Melanthius. In the next place Menelaus, valiant in the din of war, took Adrastus alive, for his two steeds, flying bewildered over the plain, coming in violent contact with a branch of tamarisk, and having broken the curved chariot at the extremity of the pole, themselves flew towards the city, whither others also fled terrified. But he was rolled from his chariot near the wheel, prone in the dust on his mouth, but near him stood Menelaus, the son of Atreus, holding his long-shadowed spear, and Drastus then, embracing his knees, supplicated him, Take me alive, O son of Atreus, and receive a worthy ransom. In my wealthy father's house lie abundant stores, brass and gold, and well-wrought steel, out of which my sire will bestow on thee countless ransom gifts, if he shall hear that I am alive at the ships of the Greeks. Thus he spoke, and persuaded his mind in his breast, and already he was on the point of consigning him to the care of his attendant, to conduct him to the ships of the Greeks. But Agamemnon, running up, met him, and shouting in a chiding tone, spoke, O soft one, O Menelaus, why art thou thus so much concerned for these men? In sooth very kind offices were done to thee and thy family by the Trojans, of whom let none escape utter destruction, and our hands, not even him whom the mother carries, being an infant in her womb, let not even him escape. But let all the inhabitants of Ilium perish totally, without burial rites, 
and obscure thus having said the hero changed his brother's mind having advised right things but he with his hand thrust back the hero adrastus from him and him king agamemnon smote in the belly and he was cast supine but the son of atreus planting his heel upon his breast drew out the ashen spear then nestor exhorted the greeks exclaiming aloud o friends grecian heroes servants of mars let no one now desirous of spoil linger behind that he may return bringing abundance to the ships but let us slay the men and afterwards at your leisure shall ye spoil the dead bodies through the plain thus having said he aroused the might and courage of each and then truly had the trojans retreated into ilium under the influence of the mars beloved greeks conquered through their own cowardice had not helenus son of priam by far the best of augurs standing near spoken these words to aeneas and to hector aeneas and hector since upon you chiefly of the trojans and lydians the labour devolves because ye are the bravest for every purpose both to fight and to take counsel stand here and stay the forces before the gates running in all directions before that on the contrary flying they fall into the arms of their wives and become a triumph to the enemies but after ye have exhorted all the phalanxes we remaining here will fight against the greeks though much pressed for necessity urges us but hector do thou go to the city and then speak to thy mother and mine and let her collecting together the matrons of distinction into the temple of azure-eyed minerva on the lofty citadel and having opened the doors of the sacred house with the key let her place on the knees of fair-haired minerva the robe which seems to her the most beautiful and the largest in her palace and which is much the most dear to her and let her promise to sacrifice to that goddess in her temple twelve yearling heifers as yet ungoaded if she will take compassion on the city and on the wives and infant children of the trojans if indeed she will avert from sacred ilium the son of tydeus that ferocious warrior the dire contriver of flight whom i declare to be the bravest of the greeks nor have we ever to such a degree dreaded achilles chiefest of men whom they say is from a goddess but this man rages excessively nor can any equal him in might thus he said but hector was by no means disobedient to his brother and instantly from his chariot he leaped to the ground with his arms and brandishing his sharp spears he went in all directions through the army inciting them to fight and he stirred up dreadful battle but they rallied round and stood opposite the greeks but the greeks retreated and desisted from slaughter for they thought that some of the immortals from the starry heaven had descended to aid the trojans in such a way did they rally but hector exhorted the trojans exclaiming aloud courageous trojans and far-summoned allies be men my friends and recall to mind your daring valour whilst i go to ilium and tell to the aged counsellors and to our wives to pray to the gods and to vow them hecatombs thus having spoken crest-tossing hector departed but about him the black hide the border which surrounded his bossy shield kept striking his angles and neck son of hippolochus and the son of tydeus met in the midst of both armies eager to fight but when now they were near going against each other diomede brave in the din of war first addressed him who of mortal men art thou o most brave for never yet have i beheld thee in the glorious fight but now indeed thou hast far surpassed all in thy confidence since thou hast awaited my long-shadowed spear certainly they are the sons of the hapless who meet my strength 
but if one of the immortals thou art come from heaven i would not fight with the celestial gods for valiant lycurgus the son of dryas did not live long who contended with the heavenly gods he who once pursued the nurses of raving bacchus through sacred nyssa but they all at once cast their sacred implements on the ground smitten by man-slaying lycurgus with an oak's goad but bacchus too terrified sunk under the wave of the sea and thetis received him affrighted in her bosom for dreadful trembling had seized him on account of the threat of the man with him the peaceful living gods were afterwards enraged and the son of saturn rendered him blind nor did he live much longer for he became an object of aversion to all the immortal gods wherefore i should not wish to fight with the blessed gods but if thou art any one of mortals who eat the fruit of the earth come hither that thou mayest speedily reach the goal of death him then the renowned son of hippolochus addressed in turn magnanimous son of tydeus why dost thou inquire of my race as is a race of leaves even such is a race of men some leaves the wind sheds upon the ground but the fructifying wood produces others and these grow up in the season of spring such is a generation of men one produces another ceases to do so but if thou wouldst learn even these things that thou mayest well know my lineage for many know it there is a city ephyra in a nook of horse pasturing argos there dwelt sisyphus who was the most cunning of mortals sisyphus son of aeolus and he begat a son glaucus but glaucus begat blameless bellerophon to whom the gods gave beauty and agreeable manliness but against him proetus devised evils in his soul who accordingly banished him from the state since he was far the best of the greeks for jove had subjected them to his sceptre with him the wife of proetus noble antia passionately longed to be united in secret love but by no means could she persuade just-minded wise reflecting bellerophon she therefore telling a falsehood thus addressed king proetus mayest thou be dead o proetus or do thou slay bellephoron who desired to be united in love with me against my will thus she said but rage possessed the king at what he heard he was unwilling indeed to slay him for he scrupled this in his mind but he sent him into lycia and gave to him fatal characters writing many things of deadly purport on a sealed tablet and ordered him to show it to his father-in-law to the end that he might perish he therefore went into lycia under the blameless escort of the gods but when now he had arrived at lycia and at the river xanthus the king of wide lycia honoured him with a willing mind nine days did he entertain him hospitably and sacrificed nine oxen but when the tenth rosy-fingered morn appeared then indeed he interrogated him and desired to see the token whatever it was that he brought from his son-in-law proetus but after he had received the fatal token of his son-in-law first he commanded him to slay the invincible chimera but she was of divine race not of men in front of a lion behind a dragon in the middle a goat breathing forth a dreadful might of gleaming fire and her indeed he slew relying on the signs of the gods next he fought with the illustrious solimi and he said that he entered on this as the fiercest fight among men thirdly he slew the man opposing amazons but for him returning the king wove another wily plot selecting the bravest men from wide lycia he placed an ambuscade but they never returned home again for blameless bellephoron slew them all but when iobates knew that he was the offspring of a god 
he detained him there and gave him his daughter he also gave him half of all his regal honour the lycians also separated for him an enclosure of land excelling all others pleasant vine-bearing and arable that he might cultivate it but this woman brought forth three children to warlike Bellephoron, Isandrus, Hippolochus, and Laodamia. Providence Jove, indeed, had clandestine intercourse with Laodamia, and she brought forth godlike brazen-helmed Sarpedon. But when now even he, Bellephoron, was become odious to all the gods, he on his part wandered alone through the Elean plain, pining in his soul, and shunning the path of men but mars insatiable of war slew his son isandrus fighting against the illustrious solymi and golden-reigned diana being enraged slew his daughter but hippolochus begat me and from him i say that i am born me he sent to troy and gave me very many commands always to fight bravely and to be superior to others and not to disgrace the race of my fathers who were by far the bravest in Ephyra and ample Lycia. From this race and blood do I boast to be. Thus he said, and Diomede, valiant in the din of war, rejoiced. His spear indeed he fixed in the all-nurturing earth, and next addressed the shepherd of the people in courteous words. Certainly thou art my father's ancient guest, for in his halls noble Oeneus once entertained blameless Bellephoron, having detained him for twenty days, and they bestowed valuable gifts of hospitality on each other. Oeneus on his part gave a belt shining with purple, and Bellephoron in turn a golden double cup. And this I left in my halls when I was coming hither. But Tydeus I remember not, for he left me whilst I was yet young, when the people of the Greeks perished at Thebes. Wherefore I am a guest friend to thee in the midst of Argos, and thou art the same to me in Lycia, whenever I shall visit their state." but let us also in the crowd avoid even each other's spears, for there are many Trojans and illustrious allies for me to slay, whomsoever the deity shall present, and I shall overtake with my feet, and there are many Greeks in turn for thee to slay, whomsoever thou canst. But let us exchange arms with each other, that even these may know that we profess to be friends by our ancestors. Thus having spoken, leaping down from their steeds, they took each other's hand and plighted faith. Then Saturnian Jove took away prudence from Glaucus, who exchanged armor with Iomede, the son of Tydeus, giving golden arms for brazen, the value of a hundred beeves for the value of nine. But when Hector arrived at the Scaean gates and the beech-tree, around him ran the Trojan wives and daughters inquiring for their sons, their brothers, their friends, and husbands. But he then ordered all in order to supplicate the gods, for evils were impending over many. But when now he had arrived at the very beautiful dwelling of Priam, built with well-polished porticoes, but in it were fifty chambers of polished marble, built near one another, where lay the sons of Priam with their lawful wives, and opposite on the other side, within the hall, were the twelve roofed chambers of his daughters, of polished marble, built near to one another, where the sons-in-law of Priam slept with their chaste wives. There his fond mother met him, as she was going to Laodice, the most excellent in form of her daughters. And she hung upon his hand, and addressed him, and spoke, My son, why hast thou come, having left the bold fight? Certainly the abominable sons of the Greeks harass thee much, fighting around thy city. Thy mind hath urged thee to come hither, to uplift thy hands to Jove from the lofty citadel. 
but wait till i bring thee genial wine that first thou may makest a libation to jove and to the other immortal gods and then thou shalt refresh thyself if thou wilt drink for to a wearied man wine greatly increases strength since thou art wearied aiding thy kinsmen but her mighty crest tossing hector then answered bring me not genial wine venerable mother lest thou enervate me and i forget my might and valour but i dread to pour out dark red wine to jove with unwashed hands nor is it by any means lawful for me denied with blood and gore to offer vows to the cloud-compelling son of saturn but go thou to the temple of minerva the pillager with victims having assembled the matrons of distinction and the robe which is the most beautiful and the largest in the palace and by far the most esteemed by thyself that place on the knees of the fair-haired goddess and vow that thou wilt sacrifice to her in her temple twelve heifers yearlings ungoaded if she will take compassion on the city and the wives and infant children of the trojans if she will avert from sacred ilium the son of tydeus that fierce warrior the valiant author of terror do thou on thy part go to the temple of the pillager minerva but i will go after paris that i may call him if he is willing to hear me speaking would that the earth might there open for him for him hath olympian jove reared as a great bane to the trojans to magnanimous priam and to his sons could i but behold him descending to hades i might say that my soul had forgotten its joyless woe thus he spoke but she going to her palace gave orders to her maids and they assembled through the city the matrons of distinction but she descended into her fragrant chamber where were her variously embroidered robes the works of sidonian females which godlike alexander himself had brought from sidon sailing over the broad ocean in that voyage in which he carried off helen sprung from a noble sire hecuba taking one of these which was most beauteous with various hues and largest brought it as a gift to minerva and it glittered like a star and lay the undermost of all but she hastened to set out and many venerable matrons hurried along with her but when they had arrived at the temple of minerva in the lofty citadel fair-cheeked theano the daughter of Cisseus, wife of horse-breaking antenor opened to them the gates for the trojans had made her priestess of minerva they all with a loud wailing upraised their hands to minerva but fair-cheeked theano having received the garment placed it on the knees of fair-haired minerva and making vows thus prayed to the daughter of mighty jove venerable minerva guardian of the city divine one of goddesses break now the spear of diomede and grant that he may fall prostrate before the scaean gates that we may forthwith sacrifice to thee in thy temple twelve yearlings untamed heifers if thou wilt pity the city and the wives of the trojans and their infant children so she spake in prayer but pallas minerva refused thus they on their part offered vows to the daughter of mighty jove but hector had gone to the beautiful halls of alexander which he himself had built with the aid of men who then were the most skilful artificers in fruitful troy who made for him a chamber a dwelling-room and hall in the lofty citadel near the palaces of priam and hector there jove beloved hector entered and in his hand he held a spear of eleven cubits the brazen point of the spear shone in front and a golden ring encircled it but him he found in his chamber preparing his very beauteous armour his shield and corslet and fitting his curved bow argive helen sat amongst her female servants and assigned their tasks to her maids of renowned work but hector seeing 
reproached him with foul words infatuate not not befittingly hast thou conceived this rage in thy mind the people are perishing fighting around the city and lofty wall and on thy account the battle and war are blazing around the city truly thou wouldst thyself reprove another if ever thou sawest any person remiss in the hateful battle but arise lest perchance the city should quickly blaze with hostile fire but him godlike alexander then addressed hector since thou hast with reason reproved me and not without reason therefore will i tell thee but do thou attend and hear me i was sitting in my chamber neither so much from anger nor indignation against the trojans but because i wished to give way to grief but now my wife advising me with soothing words hath urged me to go to the battle and to myself also it seems to be better for victory alternates to men but come now wait let me put on my martial arms or go on and i will follow and i think that i shall overtake thee thus he said but crest-tossing hector did not answer him but helen addressed hector with soothing words brother-in-law of me shameless authoress of mischief devising fearful wretch would that on the day when first my mother brought me forth a destructive tempest of wind had seized and borne me to a mountain or into the waves of the much resounding ocean where the billow would have swept me away before these doings had occurred but since the gods have thus decreed these evils i ought at least to have been the wife of a braver man who understood both the indignation and the many reproaches of men but this man's sentiments are neither conscious now nor will they be hereafter wherefore i think he will reap the fruits of them but come now enter and sit on this seat brother-in-law since toils have greatly encompassed thy mind on account of shameless me and of the guilt of alexander on whom jove hath imposed an unhappy lot that even in time to come we should be a subject of song to future men but her mighty crest tossing hector then answered do not bid me sit helen though courteous for thou wilt not persuade me for now is my mind urged on that i may aid the trojans who have great regret for me absent but do thou arouse paris and let him hasten that he may overtake me being within the city for i will go home that i may see my domestics my beloved wife and my infant son for i know not whether i shall ever again return to them or whether the gods will now subdue me under the hands of the greeks thus having said crest tossing hector departed and immediately he then arrived at his well-situated palace nor did he find white-armed andromache in the halls but she stood lamenting and weeping on the tower with her son and her well-robed maid but hector when he found not his blameless wife within went and stood at the threshold and said to the female servants i pray you maids tell me truly whither went white-armed andromache from the palace has she gone anywhere to the dwellings of her husband's sisters or to those of any of her well-robed brother-in-law's wives or to the temple of minerva where the other fair-haired trojan matrons are appeasing the dreadful goddess him then the active housewife in turn answered hector since thou biddest me to tell the truth she has not gone to any of her husband's sisters nor to any of her well-robed brother-in-law's wives nor to the temple of minerva where the other fair-haired trojan matrons are appeasing the dreadful goddess but she went to the lofty tower of ilium when she heard that the trojans were worn out and that the valour of the greeks was great she is now on her way hastening to the wall like unto one frenzied and the nurse along with her bears the child thus spoke the housewife 
but hector hastened away from the palace back the same way through the well-built streets when he had arrived at the scaean gates after passing through the great city for by this he was about to pass out on to the plain there met him his richly dowered spouse running andromache daughter of the magnanimous Aetion, Aetion, who dwelt in woody hypoplacus and hypoplacian thebes reigning over cilician men his daughter was then possessed by brazen-helmed hector she then met him and with her came a maid carrying in her bosom the tender child an infant quite the only son of hector like unto a beauteous star him hector had named scamandrius but others estianax for hector alone protected ilium he indeed gazing in silence upon his son smiled but andromache stood near him weeping and she hung upon his hand and addressed him and spoke strange man this thy valour will destroy thee nor dost thou pity thy infant child and unhappy me who very soon will be bereft of thee for presently the greeks will slay thee all attacking thee at once for me much better it were to sink into the earth when bereft of thee for there will no longer be any other comfort for me when thou shalt draw on thy destruction but sorrows only nor have i father or venerable mother for divine achilles slew my father and laid waste the well-inhabited city of the cilicians lofty-gated thebes he slew etion but spoiled him not he scrupled in his mind to do that but he burned him together with his well-wrought arms and heaped a tomb over him and around him the mountain nymphs daughters of aegis-bearing jove planted elms moreover the seven brothers besides whom i had at home all these departed to hades in one day for divine swift-footed achilles slew them all amidst their crooked-hooved oxen and their snowy sheep and my mother who ruled in woody hippoplacus after that he had led her hither with other treasures he sent back at liberty having received countless ransom gifts but her the shaft-rejoicing diana slew in my father's hall but o hector to me thou art both father and venerable mother and brother thou art also my blooming consort but come now pity me and abide here in the tower nor make thy child an orphan and thy wife a widow and place a company at the wild fig-tree where the city is chiefly easy of ascent and the wall can be scaled for going to this very quarter the bravest of the greeks have thrice assaulted and the two ajaces and most renowned idomeneus and the sons of atreus and the brave son of tydeus certainly some person well skilled in prophecy mentioned it to them or their own mind impels and orders them but her then in turn the mighty crest-tossing hector addressed assuredly to me also are all these things a subject of anxiety dear wife but i am exceedingly ashamed of the trojans and the long-robed trojan dames if i like a dastard keeping aloof should avoid the battle nor does my mind incline me thus for i have learned to be always brave and to fight in the foremost among the trojans seeking to gain both my father's great glory and mine own for well i know this in my mind and soul a day will arrive when sacred ilium shall perish and priam and the people of priam skilled in the ashen spear but to me the grief that is to come will not be so great on account of the trojans neither for hecuba herself nor for king priam nor for my brothers who many and excellent are destined to fall in the dust beneath hostile men as for thee when some one of the brazen-mailed greeks shall lead thee away weeping having deprived thee of the day of freedom and perchance being in argos thou mayest weave the web at the command of some other dame and bear water from the fountain of messeus 
or hyperia very unwillingly and hard necessity will oppress thee whilst some one hereafter beholding thee pouring forth tears will say this was the wife of hector who was the bravest in battle of the horse-breaking trojans when they fought round ilium thus will some one hereafter say but fresh anguish will be thine from the want of such a husband to avert the day of servitude but may the heaped earth cover me dead before i hear of this lamentation and abduction thus having said illustrious hector stretched out his arms for his son but the child screaming shrunk back to the bosom of the well-zoned nurse affrighted at the aspect of his dear sire fearing the brass and the horse-haired crest seeing it nodding dreadfully from the top of the helmet gently his loving father smiled and his revered mother instantly illustrious hector took the helmet from his head and laid it all glittering on the ground and having kissed his beloved child and fondled him in his hands thus spoke praying to jove and to the other gods jove and ye other gods grant that this my son also may become even as i am distinguished amongst the trojans so powerful in might and bravely to rule over ilium and may some one hereafter say concerning him returning from the fight he indeed is much braver than his sire and let him bear away the bloody spoils having slain the foe and let his mother rejoice in her soul thus having said he placed the boy in the hands of his beloved spouse but she smiling tearfully received him in her fragrant bosom her husband regarding her pitied her and soothed her with his hand and addressed her and said beloved be not at all too sad in thine heart on my account for no man shall send me prematurely to the shades but i think there is no one of men who has escaped fate neither the coward nor the brave man after he has once been born but do thou going home take care of thy own works thy web and distaff and command thy maids to perform their task but war shall be a care to all the men who are born in ilium and particularly to me thus having spoken illustrious hector took up the horse-haired helmet and his beloved wife departed home looking back from time to time and shedding copious tears then immediately she reached the very commodious palace of the man-slaying hector and within she found many maids and in all of them she excited grief they indeed bewailed in his own palace hector still alive for they thought that he would never return back again from battle escaping the might and the hands of the greeks nor did paris delay in his lofty halls but he after he had put on his famous arms variegated with brass then hastened through the city relying on his swift feet and as when a stabled courser fed with barley at the stall having broken his cord runs prancing over the plain elate with joy being accustomed to bathe in some fair flowing river he bears aloft his head and his mane is tossed about on his shoulders but he relying on his beauty his knees easily bear him to the accustomed pastures of the mares thus paris the son of priam shining in arms like the sun exulting descended down from the citadel of pergamus but his swift feet bore him and immediately after he found his noble brother hector when he was now about to depart from the palace where he was conversing with his spouse him godlike alexander first addressed honoured brother assuredly now i am altogether detaining thee although hastening nor have i come in due time as thou didst order him then crest-tossing hector answering addressed strange man 
not any man indeed who is just could dispraise thy deeds of war for thou art brave but willingly art thou remiss and dost not wish to fight and my heart is saddened in my breast when i hear of dishonourable things of thee from the trojans who have much toil on thy account but let us away these things we shall arrange hereafter if ever jove shall grant us to place a free goblet in our halls to the heavenly everlasting gods when we shall have repulsed the well-grieved greeks from troy end of book the sixth read by stephen carney say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill